Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 7th. We are coming to you live from New York City with part 7 of our Merge series. We're one week away, ladies and gentlemen. Merge is here. Matt, how you feeling? Man, I am so excited. We're going seven for seven in our merge series, um, and uh, and the merge could not be closer. Uh, or at least, like, we probably won't do one next. Well, we'll probably do a live stream next week. We'll definitely uh, do a live. Oh, that's a great idea. We'll do a live stream next week. Yeah, during the. Don't, the- don't hold us to that. In case our lawyers, <laughs> you know, our lawyers might step in. Yeah, not. But, this uh, is not a uh, media advice. <laughs> <laughs> this is not calendar advice. Don't uh, don't don't mark your calendars yet. But mark your calendars for the merge party if you're in new york city don't do anything thursday night because the merge party will be happening at a secret location in manhattan uh ping us for details if you don't know yet that's happening that's coming to you live from new york city matt what's going on this week what do we need to know about the merge the week of september 7th so the merge is just five days 23 hours 27 minutes and 50 seconds out uh and i shouldn't have read all that because by the time we publish it it'll be like an hour an hour later but um <laughs> that, that, we're, pretty we're pretty confident though that we have a date now yeah uh i mean like hash power has like been pretty stable um and uh it's just about the total difficulty of the chain uh yeah so uh uh the that uh brings us to an estimated merge date time of september 13th tuesday at 8 50 uh utc um which 8 50 a.m 8 50 p.m uh but that's UTC, UTC. so that's uh that's 4 50 p.m new york time um and i am nice. blocking on my calendar wow yeah, nice. so we'll all just be getting off work yeah uh well wait, happy hours wait, everywhere you past four. <laughs> uh, i actually work till 6 p.m every day at the least you know in case anybody from coinbase is watching this uh, it's time um, to build in the bear market yeah it's, it's time <laughs> to build you know um so, so there actually has been a lot going on yeah right yesterday was the very final step before the merge can take place the bellatrix hard fork yes the bellatrix hard fork so uh, who is bellatrix i'm once again asking <laughs> who that. is bellatrix, who Will the real bellatrix, bellatrix please stand up <laughs> um, so the bellatrix fork is um is the last step before the merge uh and uh astute viewer or our one astute viewer um or listener will remember from our last uh the last part of our merge series that uh that there are two forks that go into the merge there's bellatrix and paris um, so Bellatrix is the is the one that tells the beacon chain to start holding a place for actual block data from the Ethereum blockchain. Mm. So uh, I think we used a good metaphor last time. If you're setting the table, Bellatrix puts the plate on the table. Mm. And then at Paris, which is like the actual merge time, uh, mm. that's when block data starts actually getting produced and going in. Um, okay. So, uh, so before Bellatrix, we just had kind of like a blank, uh, like a blank space instead of an empty block data space. Okay. Um, and so now we, now we have empty block data going yeah. into the new blocks on the beacon chain. Okay. okay. So on the beacon chain, let's say, okay, the, let's continue the metaphor, right? The beacon chain was an empty table, like a nice long empty table, right? A banquet table. Just saying <laughs> a banquet table. We're laying out this table that's just gonna get ready for the future right this is the future of ethereum on this table now 
what what exactly like on the beacon chain like what did that even look like was there just nothing going on at all like no blocks being processed like nothing so the, at all the, just the beacon, empty the beacon chain has been producing blocks for something like 18 months now i think right. a little more so it's been live right it's been live and the beacon chain handles the consensus layer right so um what that means is it handles all of the data surrounding proof of stake staking whose turn it is to make a block whose turn it is to attest to a block, final, block finality, all of that gets handled by the beacon chain. So it's been producing blocks with all of that as like a sort of practice um, for about 18 months now. And so you know how like a lot of people have been like staking their ETH for a while now. Um, they're getting block rewards because they're making blocks on the beacon chain. Um, mm. But within, or there we, yeah, within each like slot, um, you have like, whose turn it is to make the block. So block producer's address. You have a date time, right? Of like what date and time yeah. the block was produced. Um, you have like a little bit of metadata around like the block reward uh, and who's like attesting to the box. Um, but uh, there was no space for actual block data uh, from the from the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, got um, it. And so, uh, so you can think of this as like the metadata block and within each metadata block is a actual Ethereum block. Okay, got uh, it. Currently, we have, or prior to Bellatrix, that just there just was no placeholder at all. Currently, okay. we're producing blocks that on the beacon chain that have empty block data. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so when the merge happens, th that uh, block data will no longer be empty. And was there actual transaction activity happening, right? Like exchanging all this stuff? Uh, it's like paying the the block rewards. Okay. Um, and like handling things like staking um obviously not unstaking yet but like yeah. uh new validators getting spun up uh mm. validators waiting in the queue to enter um, i see all of that was like data that's being posted to the beacon chain okay got it um but uh when the merge happens uh we'll we'll start filling up this like placeholder slot with data from the actual ethereum blockchain and that's mm. the one that contains like transactions as we know them um it's as if there's a block within a block blockception uh um, exception yeah uh nice so um so that's pretty exciting right because this was kind of the last step needed before the actual merge happens so when you when you run your node and you upgrade to bellatrix you tell it okay put these things in empty but when you hit total terminal difficulty you start putting them in with actual transactions in them. Mm. um and so uh so right now, let's say I try, I don't even know if this is a hypothetical that's based in reality, any kind of reality, but like if I wanted to make a transaction on the beacon chain, like what would be the mechanism that rejects that, you know, like, would there just be no way to actually put an actual transaction in like just functionally, right? How would it stop me from like including anything in the block data, right? Like are the, are the validators just not set up to accept? a block that is filled with anything? Like, is there just some kind of check that says like, if the block is not empty, reject the block or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, so um, so currently like the, my, my guess is in the like actual uh, like Ethereum code, like uh, client code, um, there's probably something set up to that effect where it's like yeah. the total difficulty hasn't hit merge time yet. Um, then like, don't put any transactions in. Um, but from a societal consensus perspective, uh, other validators have to attest that your block is valid. 
um, and that like say the signatures all match like the transactions that they're supposed to and all of that. Um, and so you wouldn't, if you were like a block producer um, and like you're a validator, it's your turn to make a block um, and you try to make one that has block data in it, like transactions, um, everyone else would say, no, 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 this is like not legit, like ignore this block. Let's move on to the next staker. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay, that makes sense. So, so Bellatrix, Hard Fork went successfully, all good, no hiccups. We're all set for Paris next week, September 13th, 8.50 p.m. UTC, 4.50 p.m. Yes. New York time. All right. Pretty exciting. Buckle up, right? We're, buckle we're effectively up. buckled in now. It's like a roller coaster where, like, like it or not, like, it's moving. Um, and, like, we've done the last manual step, which is to, like, close in those harnesses. Um, so buckle up for a roller coaster, everyone. Buckle up. <laughs> Speaking of buckling up, Matt, there have been some movements in the markets. Boy, have there. People are taking notice of what's happening here. Uh, there are some flippings going on. Some there flippings. are some price movements in derivative products. There's uh, there there are market caps taking hits. Um, where do you want to start with this? There's there's a lot we can go into. Um, let's let me just say it is definitely Barry's turn right now. That's that's my comment on this whole thing. Um, boy, it sure is. And like, it really hasn't been for a while. So, um, has it ever been? Uh, nah, this whole thing is Barry's turn. Yeah, we're, we're living in Barry's living world. Living in Barry's world. Everything. <laughs> um, so, um, the, uh, the, the really like core issue here is like whether or not there's going to be a fork of the standard Ethereum chain, like the switching to proof of stake, and like are the miners going to like continue to mine their proof of work chain, mm -hmm. causing a hard fork in the network? Yeah. Um, the answer is yes, uh, mm -hmm. as we've like kind of predicted since day one, really, of the mm -hmm. Um And uh, and so we have exchanges that have listed sort of derivatives of uh, of proof of work Ethereum, so that there can be a little bit of market discover market price discovery. Uh, ahead of the actual merge. So if you have ETH on Ethereum prior to the merge, then you'll have that same amount of ETH on both the proof of work chain and the proof of stake chain after the merge. Yeah. Um, and the question is, how much is that proof of work ETH going to be worth? Mm -hmm. um, today, it's uh, it's down. It's down bad. Uh, so it's currently at about two percent of uh, of Ethereum, of standard ethereum mm. which is like definitely below i think most people's expectations what was it i mean even yesterday even yesterday was 2.5 okay yeah and over the past few weeks ever since this derivative product came into existence it's been trading anywhere from like four to eight percent right closer to those numbers yeah not at two percent yeah exactly so it's, it's been trading at like you know, there was for a while it was trading at 55, then it was trading at 50. Yesterday it was like trading like 41. It's down like 17% since then. So, uh, you, you did the math. Yeah. Um, 30 something, right? Um, and so I guess the core question for, for me is that, I mean, this is the bet, right? This is just a bet on how successful, you know, we can define that in a few different ways, but like how successful the proof of work ETH chain ends up being right there's this whole movement with uh, a development developer community that wants to support this they want to build applications that support it uh 
But there's also this other chain that already exists that is a proof-of-work Ethereum chain called ETH Classic that has been in, in existence since the beginning and that has its own story and its own issues from the past with the DAO hack and the way that it was handled on that chain. But we're seeing right now a complete flip in narrative, I guess, and also in market cap, right, where proof of work ETH had this whole kind of story behind it about we're going to like, they're just like asking all these questions. Like it started out as like a thing about like just asking a lot of questions like, oh, how are we going to handle this on the proof of stake chain? How are we going to handle these components of DeFi? How are we going to handle these stable coins? How are we going to handle these protocols that have stable coins locked inside of them? Um, and now over the past few weeks, most of those questions have been answered, right? Like I would say in part three, we laid out this DeFi doomsday scenario, right? Where, wow, all this could just fall apart. And for the most part, things have been handled in an orderly fashion, right? Like, wouldn't you say like, it hasn't been the most like free market kind of wild west type of response. It's been a much more controlled, like fall in line. Everybody does the same thing, social consensus. But it seems like there's not gonna be as much chaos around those things as we maybe would have thought uh, in, in part three or four, four weeks ago, right? Um, yeah. my, my point in all this is that we're kind of starting to see a shift in narrative. And this comes down to the fact that there is this whole set of miners that have been supporting Ethereum and uh, providing security to the chain. And I mean, just like to put it bluntly, just have put in a ton of money for this, for, for whatever, like just for their own incentives first, but like also like they're, they're using it to, they're using these GPUs to, to run like Ethereum nodes, right? And like miners, right? So they want to do something with that, presumably some of them. So you would assume a lot of that hash power goes somewhere. And so we're, a lot of the market is trying to figure out where that goes. And uh, it's just super fascinating to me that there's been a complete flip in the past week not even the past week, just the past few days in where the market is pricing the outcome, right? So as recently as yesterday, like the market caps of Ethereum Classic and Proof of Work Ethereum uh, were neck and neck, right? Uh, Equal. Equal, yeah. Uh, But today, uh, ETH Classic is at 5 billion and ETH proof of work ETH is at 4 billion. Um, Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's so both yeah, down a little massive. bit, but ETH war, proof of work is down a ton. Yeah. Um, I mean, this sort of like, I mean, it's to be expected, right? Like these are super liquid markets. Um, and I wouldn't say that like shorting ETHW to zero is necessarily a smart trade either. Um, but, uh, you know, there is kind of a question of like, is this really going to be the only fork? Right. Um, so this is so far the fork that has like by far the most uh, the most work put into it, like human work. Um, they've got a new chain ID, right? Like they they've got that put into like the Geth like uh, core client, right? Um, and uh, and you know they've got like uh, they've got a team put together purportedly. It's not just like one guy. Um, and they've got like a, a, an open letter, a manifesto. Like they're they're trying to like address some of these DeFi concerns. Um, but there's still kind of an open question of like, well, this is a very convenient time to start forking Ethereum, 
right? Um, and like we saw this with Bitcoin, right? We saw Bitcoin, we saw Bitcoin Cash, we saw Bitcoin Gold, we saw Bitcoin SV. Um, and when the social consensus breaks as to like one true chain, it sort of opens the floodgates, I think, for for more forks to to come into play. Yeah, the fork wars. The fork, the fork wars. wars are coming. <laughs> fork wars. Um, There's. It's just inevitable, man. Like if you're, you're a miner that has a percentage of the Ethereum network, or you're mining pool, you're so incentivized to start your own chain and provide security for it, and provide the ample amounts of capital and economic resources that you have at your disposal, which you do as a mining pool or a big miner, you're just so incentivized to launch your own chain, try and create a narrative and a story around it, and frankly, pump the price, right? Like you can do that. If you have enough <laughs> will, frankly, will and money, you can do it. Yeah, you've, it's been done before. It's been done when all these forks happened with Bitcoin, uh, specifically with Bitcoin Cash initially, Bitcoin SV to a lesser extent. But it, it has happened. And it will happen again, in my mind, to, to a smaller degree. Maybe not with proof of work ETH. Maybe the, maybe the thing that picks up is ETH Classic, uh, you know, like maybe because Barry knows all, everybody in the community. And so he convinces all the miners to start moving over to each classic instead vitalik himself has also said if you'd like a proof of work chain go to eth classic now the problem like why don't people like eth classic is it just the dao uh situation and the fact that those tokens are in the hands of a hacker or i guess i don't really know like what happened i haven't traced back in the chain history like where those tokens went but right like the eth classic fork happened because after the dao hack ETH rolled back the chain. ETH Classic did not roll back the chain. So those tokens are in the hands of a hacker, and those tokens represent like 40% of the token supply or something like that, something crazy. So it makes sense that that's a concern, but like, well, do you know what happened with those tokens? Or like, are they, I mean, are they blacklisted on ETH Classic? Or like, what is No, the... I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, you can't, you would never allow black, you would never see blacklisting coming out of the ETH Classic community, right? Like, that's the whole idea is that like, look, this shit happened, code is law. Like, let's, you know, we got to, we got to keep running that chain because it's the source of truth. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, I think like, a, the high concentration of tokens among, like, within any one player is kind of a concern um, because they can just dump them, right? Uh, B, um, the bigger issue here is that, like, there's literally nothing built on ETH Classic. Like, Uniswap doesn't support it, right? Like, there's no good Uniswap fork. Um, and there's, like, there's a lot of, like, security overhead when you go to a new front end and you're signing a new contract, right? Uh you don't really know what you're dealing with there. It would be mm. nice if you could just use Uniswap on ETH Classic, but I, I don't see a world where like that happens anytime soon. Um, and so you don't even have Uniswap. How are you going to get any of the basics of DeFi or NFTs or whatever? Um, like to me, it feels like it's just impossible to use ETH Classic today. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a very fair assessment. And and I mean, I'm comparing this to blockchains. Like, I mean, some of the stuff we were like trading on in 2021 was like insane, right? Like Harmony, right? Um, Dude, I was using. Are you kidding me? I was using Trisolaris yeah. on uh, 
the uh, Aurora blockchain, which is like a shard of Nier. Yeah, I I got some assets stuck on one of them because I didn't have any of the native token. Um, I think it was like Rose or something. Uh, for Dude, yeah, I had to email support. I had to email yeah, Harmony. I also emailed support. Harmony support. Uh, I was like, hey man, I sent a massive, massive uh, transfer over this bridge and uh it's stuck like is it because i hit refresh and like the front end just stopped processing like what happened what happened they're like oh 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 it's all good now it was a front end issue (laughs) (laughs) and Um, i mean so compared to that like even eth classic is just unusable right like there's there's still less like can't email support you got to tweet a berry (laughs) there's there's less infrastructure on eth classic than there is on like you know, probably Mina, right? <laughs> um, like, or or what was the uh, the one where they were using the hard drives? Um, you know, the green helium. Oh uh, no, the green one. Uh, Lima. Uh, no, the it's a lighter one, and they were using like proof of hard hard drive space as their like. Uh, you, you you don't remember this? It like pumped the prices of hard drives like super substantially, like May of last year. Dara. Uh, no, uh, it's like newer. Um, anyway, newer? um, so. Like, it, it literally has nothing going for it, right? But um, this is I mean, all to we say, just talked like, about it for 20 seconds. <laughs> like, ETH Classic is, is that useless that, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, there's more stuff to use on on Mina, right? Uh, like, it's not great. It's not great. Um, and the problem <laughs> is that, like, if you don't have, like, a reliable it's Uniswap, so that's, that's the core of everything, mm-hmm. right? Or that's the core mm-hmm. of many, many things. Uh, moreover, like OpenSea, you think OpenSea is gonna? OpenSea has come out uh, and said that they're only supporting proof of stake based uh, Ethereum assets. Mm. Um, they're not gonna support proof of work ETH. Um, they're not gonna support ETH Classic. You know what I mean? Um, there's just so many issues with ETH Classic that, like, to me, it feels like a temporary blip actually in the market cap uh, dynamic here. Like, I wouldn't. It is going to flip and back. Yeah, I think it'll flip and back. Uh, because there's literally nothing you can use on ETH Classic. Like, it's actually that bad. Like, I, I tried to dig pretty deep into it because there was a reasonable bull case and it has play, panned out a little bit for ETH Classic. Well, um, dude, I think the argument for ETH Classic here is. And, and this is the worst argument ever, but this is the argument you would make if you were going to support it and that is basically just like history lindy and effectively like what that means is like security right and like that's the only reason but the security case does not hold up at all because this thing has been 51 percent attacked <laughs> yeah like several Sometimes, times there yeah. have been times when it's like 20 grand to 51 percent attack the whole chain <laughs> and this is back in the day in the depths of another bear market but still that's that's not cool like that shouldn't happen <laughs> so uh yeah I, I i get where you're coming from i think i, I think i can see a flipping back so uh, can but, we dig into the minor incentives here? Like, are they incentivized to switch to ETH Classic to continue mining ETH proof of work or to try and fork again to a different ETH proof of work? Each one, each, each, each set of miners will have their own incentives. If you're, a, if you're a player that's either like fundamental to ETH Classic, ETH W, or big enough to like launch your own chain you're incentivized to bring as many miners onto your team basically as you can Mm -hmm. right because 
I do think there will be one proof of work based Ethereum chain that does end up existing, right? Um, I think there will be at least two. Yeah, there's a chance that there are two. Like even Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV still exist. Yeah. <laughs> They're still around. So I could totally see there being two. I could see there being more. Uh, their market caps will probably go down forever relative to the market cap of ETH itself. That would be my guess. There might be some temporary blips in the middle or in the early days, especially. But yeah, I, and so miners will be incentivized. If you're big enough, you're incentivized to launch your own, right? Like big enough. And I don't know how to define that, but definitely like so, big so enough. What do, you, what do you need to launch your own? You, you need enough hash power that it's not going to get 51% of the time. Like, community more than anything. I think you need yeah. people. You yeah. need people to actually say like, Yo, this is the one. You need basically people. Yeah, yeah, you need basically. I think you need people to sell their other forks and hold the the fork, like hold the version of ETH, because they're all going to airdrop the same token, right? Like you're gonna have the same balance. The state will be the same as previous to the is what it was like right before the merge. So uh, they're gonna need people to hold that and either like. Sell it. Yeah, not immediately just dump it. Because you need the price of that token to be worth a certain minimum amount to make it worth it to, to mine, right? Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So like offset your electrical costs. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, it seems like the incentive for the miners is to fork and then buy that token in order to like, you know, right now so it's like... It, they need some buy, buy pressure, right? They need some kind of buy pressure on that token. Otherwise, everybody dumps immediately and just sends it to zero if they can. If they can't, then it's just it's a dead chain. Yeah. So they need somehow, they need buyers and they need users. So uh, how do you get buyers and users? You got to convince them that what you're doing is actually worth of, worth something. It's valuable. Hmm. How do you convince them of that? You should ideally be making something of value. Um, but they're not going to, they can't do that. You can't uh, do that. I mean, I don't know. Like what, what argument could you make for a proof of work chain? That's not ETH classic or ETH W. I mean, you know, uh, decentralization, I guess is the, or like, you know, if you're providing all the hash power, where is the decentralization? (laughs) uh, Like, I guess higher quality censorship resistance, um, it would be the narrative that you would use there. I could see, yeah, I could see a narrative that's like full, like. Tornado chain. Tornado chain. Yeah. That I've been harping on this. That <laughs> I not financial advice. Not uh, fucking Legal CIA. Advice. Don't come after me. Whatever. <laughs> um, but tornado chain just makes a lot of sense. I don't even know what that looks like. Right. Like right now, what we have is tornado chain. Kind um, of. I had a I had but, a tweet that got literally exactly zero engagement because nice. I, I totally got like soft. Uh, what do you call it? Like. Uh, soft sensor shadow band shadow band yeah nice, because dude. i said the word tornado cash in it um mm. but like what if you had a version of ethereum where every block has to have a transaction that touches tornado cash yeah that's dope like as a way of like signing off censorship resistance or, or like a version of the chain that like has tornado cash built into the base layer <laughs> where like sending it sending eth is like no longer every allowed single transaction is mixed <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, but from a validator perspective, right? Like this is what people are worried about is that like validators are not going to include blocks that touch tornado cash. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, like, uh, from a validator perspective, if you require the miners to include a transaction that touches tornado cash in every block, then you at least know that the miners are censorship resistant. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
yeah, it's a uh, maybe that's what it looks like. I don't know, tornado chain. Um, don't don't hit us up. <laughs> it, is a, it is a compelling argument. Uh, if somebody were to make it, <laughs> I'd rather have USDC chain where the gas token is USDC. But that's, oh, that's yeah, cool. that's just me. Uh, yeah, out some free ideas here. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, you know, just going off of that, let's take a quick look at some numbers here. Mm. So ETH proof of work ETH down to two percent of the value of ETH. Um, Coinbase ETH uh, is trading at ninety one point seven percent. Yeah, that's a nice steep discount. That's there. a crazy discount. Like, um, why is that? What is that pricing in? It's all it, it like so to a degree it's liquidity, but right um, because you can't like access your underlying ETH right now, um, and you know you probably won't be able to for six months after the merge, uh, and uh, and so if you need that liquidity for some reason you're going to pay up a, a premium right when you when you access it and that's that's what this reflects um but it's also i mean it's like centralization risk i guess people are slightly more worried about coinbase being able to validate blocks in a, in a proof of stake world i don't know um it'll be really interesting to see if that gap closes over the next week as we approach the merge because that'll tell you something about how much of the discount uh, reflects like execution risk on the on the part of like the Ethereum Foundation um, or like the Ethereum core developers, right? Yeah. Um, because Lido staked ETH, for example, so Coinbase trading at ninety one point seven percent. Lido is trading at like ninety six percent. So Lido's got like a solid like four percent discount, and you've got to think that that's all either liquidity or um, or like execution risk. Um, and people that don't think the merge is going to go well, they would rather hold ETH than like Lido staked ETH. Um, so now we've been talking about this too, where you can buy these two products uh, for cheaper than it is to just buy one ETH, right? Yeah, you and can the, buy you can buy a proof of work ETH and a proof of stake ETH for less than the price of an ETH. Well, yes. and a, a Lido staked ETH for mm -hmm. less than the price of an ETH. Yes, and this would basically give you the same exposure as buying one ETH now and then collecting. Well, buying one ETH now, sort of staking it, and and then collecting your ETHW. Collecting your ETHW airdrop and also getting the staked ETH when it eventually is available for unstaking. Yeah, um, yeah. and so... So the, uh, the risk there is not even a risk but it's kind of just a waiting period right that you have or that you don't have in fact that you're you're in a better spot because you're liquid if you buy the two separate tokens uh yeah but you're liquid at a discount which is good uh well yeah i mean if you buy it yeah exactly uh it's better yeah, you're yeah. you're more liquid the and you is get like, it is it going to trade at a lower discount if if other people need liquidity for some reason mm. um so, oh wait, you're like you're you're liquid, but like you can't liquid, redeem but... for the actual thing for a while. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Um, and so the if you buy one ETH today, uh, so Lido staked ETH ninety six percent, ETHW two percent, and then there's a two percent shortfall, right? Mm. Um, and that is like the combination of like liquidity um and like execution risk on the part of like the ethereum core developers yeah um, i see which seems small uh you know it is really interesting because lido staked ETH traded at like a super large discount like during like the contagion period earlier this year mm -hmm. it was down to like 89 cents um and that at that point the like common narrative 
didn't have this proof of work ETH either. Um, you know what I mean? Like people yeah. weren't thinking that the chain was going to fork. They were thinking it was going to merge. Um, and so that so, was just a complete, just, uh, people were just, that's just totally liquidity, out. liquidity premium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that was an 11% move. Uh, here we have a, basically a 2%, uh, a two, 2% pricing. So to a degree, like since then we, we've seen this like close in quite a bit, but, um, you know, you got, you got to ask yourself, is there also a case that like, there's another fork? Because that's, that's the main mispricing. Yeah. yeah. Or not the mispricing, but the thing that you don't get exposure. Yeah. So yeah, if there's a fork and especially if it picks up value, right? ETH W right now, seems like the most valuable fork by far, but if there's another one, if there's a tornado ETH that uh, picks up a ton of value and that's an airdrop and you don't get it and it's worth more than the, you know, discount that you're getting, then you're missing out on that. Yeah. 100%. Which I don't know. What do you think? Is that going to happen? I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, well, so the miners have the, any miner that can has the incentive to create their own fork, mm-hmm. right? Um, any miner that can has the incentive to price that fork, like to pump the price of that fork by buying yeah. it in super liquid markets. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and then any exchange that legally can has the incentive to list it. Um, because they generate more volume, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like initially I was like, okay, there will be exactly one proof of work based ETH coming out of coming off of the merge, and then there'll also be ETH Classic. Now I'm starting to think, well, maybe you got a point where like in reality, like we are gonna see a bunch of forks. It's yeah. hard to say. I think there will be a bunch of forks, but I think that last couple of elements of that are hard harder to pull off, which is any exchange who legally can will list these things. The legally can part in the U.S. especially is hard. Um, yeah, and the second part, the criteria, right, is like yeah. how decentralized the protocol is. Exactly. And so yeah, if you're like and one, if it's mining one miner. Pool, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other thing is with pumping the price, right? It's like it's just it's a little harder. It's kind of expensive. To do than, yeah. yeah, it's very expensive, and you can only do it for a little bit of time, and then you're draining yourself of money. And so yeah, you're, not every yeah. mining pool will be able to do that. I would say maybe there's like two successful ones, three successful ones. Yeah. Most. So really the social validation is the main thing. Like yeah. you need like... build community. Like that's why this Gullwall Capital, um, the like Justin Sun can pull it off. Like there are a few few parties that can do it. You think Tom Brady could pull it off? No. <laughs> you don't think this is FTX chains? Brady like, chain will not work. FTX chain. <laughs> FTX chain would they get not work. All of their celebrity endorsers to be like this. This is my version of proof of work ETH. That's the thing. I can't think of a compelling case for outside of ETHW, which would be the one. But I think the full censorship resistance chain would be the one i think that could pick it up i think that could pick up because like eventually like you need holders right so you need buyers and it's not just going to be retail that's Mm -hmm. like oh i should buy this third offshoot of ethereum like that's fucking weird so it's not going to be like this like random uneducated retail crowd that does it it's not going to be like the people that are already like in these other camps you need to pick up people from a different audience Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think the tornado chain is the one that makes the most sense. There's probably something I'm missing. I'll probably think about it like tomorrow while I'm swimming or something. Um, <laughs> wow. 
I think yeah. we about I think we about covered it. Yeah, um, should we Should we jump into like uh, some of the like one of the implications of the of the fork? Um, yeah. So one of the well, we already talked a little bit about this earlier in the episode, which is the DeFi doomsday scenario that we laid out, right? Which was basically it starts with it starts with a couple of things. It starts with one, these staked ETH ETH trades that are happening on Ave specifically. Um, then this stablecoin issue. The stablecoin part has mostly been addressed, right? Yeah. USDC has said that they will only support the proof of stake version of USDC. Uh, Tether has said the exact same thing. Uh, Maker that is unresolved, but it seems like it's just going to go to zero. It's just going to unwind. Well, it's a protocol that will, um, that will act as intended. So mm -hmm. like, as of right now, uh, if you deposit any ETH into maker, you'll get like $1,600 or wherever it's probably by the end of the episode, it'll be like 2,100, but, um, uh, we're the opposite of up only. Um, so, uh, uh, you deposit any ETH, you get to, you get to print that many die against it, um, or like seventy percent or whatever. Um, and so, if people want die for some reason, which like there might be weird like arbitrage plays or something uh, where like die is overvalued for like a block or two um, on the proof of work ETH, um, then you can print up as much as you want, right? Like at at like a rate that like die die is no longer going to be equal to the value of old ETH, right? it's going to go to like whatever percent or equal to the value of a dollar. It'll go to probably the same percentage basis as, um, uh, as like ETH proof of work is, uh, relative to regular ETH. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at, at any rate, uh, maker will probably just function because it's like a permissionless set of smart contracts, right? Like it doesn't have that, doesn't have that ad added layer of complexity where you have to touch something off chain. Um, and you can't just like duplicate the number of dollars that like Tether is holding or Circle is holding. Yeah. Um, you you have to. They have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Where like Maker, yeah. Maker doesn't really. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have been playing this trade, where they deposit stable coins into Ave. Mm -hmm. Like so, basically, the idea here is that people have figured out that the, all the stable coins will go to zero, right? There are a bunch of stable coins and a bunch of ETH in these different protocols and these protocols are just smart contracts. So they have to function as intended, right? So uh, wh what are the different ways that people are approaching this? So um, the, I think kind of like the most direct way to do it is to deposit USDC or USDT into Aave as mm -hmm. collateral. And then against that you borrow ETH. So you're not, yeah. so now you're holding ETH in your wallet. And then when this the pre-merge, yeah, pre-merge, yeah. Then when the merge happens, uh, you'll have extra ETH in your wallet, and then you'll get extra ETH on the proof of work chain too. Mm -hmm. On the proof of stake chain, you repay your loan, right? So uh, let's go into the state, right? So on the proof of work chain and the proof of stake chain, right after the merge happens, your state, right? Like your position, the assets you own are the exact same on both chains, right? So proof of stake chain, proof of work chain, both the exact same. So your position at that point will be you put in a bunch of stables and you borrowed ETH against them. At some point to get, okay, hold on. At some point you need 
to give that ETH back to get your stables, right? So you basically need to pay back the ETH and then you get your stables back, right? So that's the idea on both chains. No, on the proof of stake chain, you pay it back. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the idea that you would have to do that. Yeah, if you want to do stables. If you want to execute that, right? Except that on the proof of work chain, stables are worthless. Stables are worthless. You wouldn't pay back the loan. So you don't you don't want to pay that back. No, you just walk away. Uh, you have no desire to unlock your stable collateral, right? Um, and on the proof of stake chain, you pay it back. You unlock your stables. So you put in 10,000 USDC. You borrowed 5 ETH, right? Um, and then when the merge happens, you immediately pay that loan back. You unlock your 10,000 stables and you're, you're neutral on the proof of stake chain. Um, on the proof of work chain, now you just have five free ETH. And then you'll just sell that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, except for one thing, which is obviously borrow cost. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, to actually do that borrow, you have to pay some amount, right? Yeah. Um, and so like we can get kind of an interesting lens on uh, on borrow costs when we look at like the, the actual cost you have to pay. Uh, so on regular Ethereum, uh, as of yesterday, you were paying 32% APR to borrow ETH. Okay. Um, which, you know, assumes like, a you know, it probably makes it profitable if ETHW is at 2% the value of ETH, right? Because you're um, going to hold the position for like for maybe days. one week yeah. or yeah. Um, but, uh, on Arbitrum and Arbitrum and all the layer twos are not going to settle to, to proof of work ETH. Meaning you will not get the airdrop. You will not get the airdrop. Um, like if your ETH is on Arbitrum or Optimism right now, you're not going to get that ETHW airdrop. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see everybody bridge back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just be aware of that also. Yeah. I mean, Synapse, for example, is going to have weird issues where like they might run out of ETH on mainnet, uh, or, is that? You know what I mean? Uh, if everybody decides to just like bridge back. Oh, everybody's just trying to withdraw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because now we're within a week of the merge. And so you don't have enough time to have one of these optimistic roll-ups deposit mm. your ETH back on the main chain. Um, and so... So they're going to have to pause withdrawals at some point. Yeah, it kind of kind of feels like it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, they'll have to issue synthetic ETH, right? Like Synapse synthetic ETH, the way they do on other chains. Um, when, okay, like, they, when the liquidity has like an imbalance. Um, at any rate, uh, if your ETH is on optimism or Arbitrum, it doesn't count. And so, um, and so you, uh, like you get like a much lower borrow cost there, right? So you deposit your stables, uh, you borrow the ETH, but if you do it on Arbitrum, you don't actually get the airdrop. If you do it on mainnet, you get the airdrop. On Arbitrum, the borrow cost for ETH was 2.6% yesterday. Whereas on main chain, it was 32%. So that shows you how much demand there is to borrow ETH. Um, to put it in perspective, like um, the t uh, well, what, we should talk about one more variable here, which is utilization, right? Um, so Aave, they take a bunch of deposits and then they lend it out to people, right? Um, the total amount lent out divided by like the total deposited, that gives you your utilization rate. How much of it is actively being used? How much of it is being used for people who want to borrow it, right? Um, the utilization rate on Aave now free is 69%, nice. Uh, whereas most of last year, it hovered around the single digit percent mark. Wow. It's okay. unreal, yeah. So it was basically, so there was basically zero interest in borrowing ETH. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, most of, last year. most of last year. Yeah. Uh, like basically since like the crash in May, uh, nobody wanted to be short ETH. You don't want to borrow ETH because it's going up. Um, you want to borrow stables and buy ETH, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Cause borrowing ETH basically puts you short. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the trade we talked about with stables, you never sell it short. You just kind of borrow it. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But effectively, that was always the use case before this. Yeah. Was just so even just... now, even now with the utilization going up, people are not necessarily short. They're just looking to place this exact trade. Yeah, exactly. Which is just to farm an airdrop. Yeah, to farm an airdrop. All of this to farm an airdrop. Um, so... The problem is that like Ave gets into some weird scenarios here mm -hmm. uh, when the utilization of ETH gets to like 70%, okay. right? Um, so they actually put out a proposal to halt new borrowing of ETH um, to and to substantially up the maximum APR. So usually the maximum borrow cost, like when ETH is at 100% utilization, people that are borrowing ETH are paying 103% APR. Um, when... Uh, when utilization is at 100% after this proposal, uh, it's going to be a thousand percent APR. So they've quick 10x the borrow cost, right? Um, and uh, and so the reason they did that, they kind of laid out like a few of the a few of the dangerous scenarios they don't want to find themselves in. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the first one is it has to do with liquidations. So just like quick like recap, here's how Ave works, right? You deposit a thing, you borrow another thing. If your collateral ever like gets close to like the value of the thing that you borrowed, you're in danger of getting liquidated, right? They got to recoup the the assets that they lent out, um, and so they'll just liquidate your collateral in order at a discount in order to get back uh, enough assets to pay back the lenders. Right. So um, think about this scenario: someone uses ETH as collateral; mm -hmm. they borrow stables, then the ETH price goes down. And it goes down a lot mm -hmm. to the point where they're going to get liquidated. Mm -hmm. um, what has to happen at liquidation time is someone needs to come in with stables and they say, hey, I'll buy that ETH collateral at a discount. Yeah. And then um, and then they sell the ETH and they recoup more stables than they started with. Yeah. So maybe they maybe they, you know, they're, they're going to buy one hundred dollars worth of ETH for ninety nine dollars. Mm -hmm. They come in with ninety nine dollars. They. Uh, they use it to buy that that hundred dollars worth of ETH. They sell it. They pocket the like one percent return, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's standard liquidation procedure. The problem is that like if Ave has lent out all of their ETH, they don't have any ETH that they can sell at a discount. Mm. Um, and so any ETH denominated loans, any ETH collateral collateralized loans, are at risk of not being liquidatable at that point. Okay, I see. And uh, and that can. That can cause issues like cascading liquidations uh, where like they need to, you know, initially people need to like start, they need to start selling it at like this discount, but then like people get a little bit worried, um, maybe it sells off a little bit more. Um, and then all of these other loans are getting liquidated. So um, the utilization rate that they lay out, that refers to the whole pool of assets. Yeah. Including the stuff that's locked up. Like, like, I guess, I guess like, like, okay, what, what I, mean I mean is there needs to be like some set of assets that like, how, how do they perform the liquidation functionally? Does it happen like within the Ave protocol somehow? Or does it happen like, do they engage with like Uniswap? 
Um, it happens within the Aave protocol. Okay. So, so basically the way it works is at any given time, a loan has a status of being liquidatable or not liquidatable. Okay. Um, and so every block people are scanning because it's, it's arbitrage, right? Yeah. They can, heck, they can even borrow the hundred or the 99 USDC. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, use it to, uh, to buy a hundred dollars worth of ETH at a discount. Mm-hmm sell it, collect $100, and then pay back 99 and collect just like $1 yeah, in profit. Right? That makes sense. Um, and so this is a huge source of MEV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so at any given point in time, you can check whether or not a loan is liquidatable based on like the on-chain Oracle price mm-hmm. of, of the, the assets. Um, and, uh, and so they, but in order to like perform the actual liquidation, they need to have enough collateral of that collateral type that you can like buy it, right? Yeah. Um, and so anything over 50% is a little bit risky, right? And 70% utilization is very risky. Um, and so that's like one issue where like, they might have issues liquidating their collateral. They might not have the collateral, like their assets may not match their liabilities, Mm -hmm. um, or they may be low, smaller than their liabilities in whatever asset. Um, and that will cause insolvency for the Aave protocol. Now they do have a bit of a buffer built in but still not a good day. Um, so they don't really want utilization to be too high because at that point they start running that risk. Yeah. Okay. Um, like if ETH like giga and giga Rex, like the day after the merge, because everybody's like buying the rumor and selling the news, Mm -hmm. that could be a real problem. Um, so that's, that's scenario number one that they're trying to avoid is not being able to liquidate outstanding loans that that have ETH based collateral. Okay. Gotcha. Um, What is problem number two here? Problem number two here is I found this one really interesting. So for uh, for all since the, since the dawn of time, uh, degenerates have engaged in levered farming. So um, what they're doing is you buy stake teeth, Lido stake teeth, uh, steeth, right? You deposit it into Ave. You use that against that asset. You borrow ETH. You swap it for stake ETH, yeah. deposit that into Aave right. again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was like the cause of like the, you know, the, the huge amount of leverage on this trade was like the cause of, uh, of a lot of calamity uh, earlier in the year when Lido stake ETH went to like 89 cents on the ETH dollar. Um, so why are people doing this? Well, they want to hammer that arbitrage, right? Uh, what do you mean? Between the, the prices of the two things, between Steve uh, and ETH. So no, so the idea is one stake teeth represents like a yield bearing, sure, ETH, sure, right? Uh, and so if you can borrow ETH at like one percent, like you could for most of 2021, then you collect the staking rewards, which are like five percent, mm-hmm. um, and you pocket the extra four percent. Oh, right? I see, I see. Okay. Yeah, the idea being that Lido staked ETH and regular ETH will sort of trade in tandem. Um, and uh, Ooh, okay, got it, got it, got yeah. it. And and when so that's... it's not to buy the steeth at a lower price, but it's to collect the staking rewards. It's to collect the staking rewards. And then someday all of this will unlock and where you started with whatever amount of, of ETH denominated assets, uh, okay. you get a lot more sure. um, because you're levered farming the, the staking rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that that all relies on this assumption that it's cheap to borrow ETH. And when it becomes expensive to borrow ETH, when, when the borrow cost of ETH exceeds the staking rewards, this becomes an unprofitable trade. Yes, because the staking rewards on Steeth are like, what, 4% right now. Yeah. Um, and, and the uh, cost on ETH used to be what? 
Yesterday it was 32%. Okay. Last year it was 1%. 1%. Yeah. And today it's what, 100%? <laughs> um, well, it's it's actually impossible to say or what well, you, you can't tell from the front end right? because because this this proposal passed and now you can't borrow new ETH anymore. Okay. Um, so I don't know what the weighted average like borrow cost people are paying is, yeah. um, but it's still high. I thought the proposal as part of it was to move it up to 1,000%. A thousand percent, but the way that the borrow cost works is it follows like a curve. Mm. And so as more of a given asset is being borrowed, the interest rate or the, yeah. the borrow cost of that asset increases. Okay. This is the same way it works in equities, by the way. When Bed Bath & Beyond is being heavily shorted, you, in order to borrow a share and short it, you have to pay very high borrow cost. Um, like, you know, sometimes in the double digits, mm -hmm. uh, Bed Bath & might be high double digits, right? right. The yeah. idea being that that's annualized. Uh, the idea being that you expect it to go to zero before the year is up, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, so, or, you know, if it's above a hundred percent, you expect it to go to zero before the year is up. Yeah. Uh, I see. So, you know, yeah. It's a th so when it hits like a hundred percent utilization, that's when it hits like a thousand percent, uh, APR, like as the borrow cost. Um, I see. So when ETH utilization jumped from, you know, low single digits to like pretty high double digits, 69%, the borrow cost increased substantially from one to 3% to like, um, uh, sorry, to like 32% as of yesterday. Yeah. Um, that so makes this, this trade became no, this trade became unprofitable, which means people are going to unwind it. Mm. So, the issue here is that people start to unwind. What do you do? Like, let's walk through the steps. Yeah. You pay back your, your, lo your loans are outstanding in ETH. Yeah. In ETH denomination. You pay that back in ETH. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you unlock some Lido staked ETH. Yeah. So you, and then you have to sell, sell it. ETH. You sell the ETH to get more ETH. You pay, pay back, back the ETH. To get more ETH, to sell it for more ETH. Um, and so you wind up pushing the price down, right? Um, and pretty substantially because there's not a huge amount of on-chain liquidity, right? Um, and so that the issue there is now you start causing cascading liquidations where people are having to like, you know, the Aave protocol effectively is having to sell Steve at a discount. Yeah, um, like it, it has to, it's forced to. It's forced to in order to remain solvent. Yeah. Um, and so when you have someone selling at a discount that moves the like overall market price, like, uh, as long as like people are capturing arbitrage sufficiently. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that can cause the price of Steve to go down pretty substantially. Yeah. So you have this dynamic where this ETH Steve trade is just kind of bleeding people out slowly. Um, and they the smart thing to do here is to unwind mm -hmm. and it's to unwind before everybody yeah, else it's to unwind immediately right yeah because it, it could cause it could cause a bank run and like similarly like uh to the to the previous scenario like if it sells off substantially you could get to the point where the price of steep is so low that like the protocol doesn't manage to liquidate in time it doesn't manage to liquidate its outstanding loans in time to the point where they have bad debt and that can leave the the protocol insolvent. Yeah, I see. Um, once more, they have a little bit of a cushion, but it's it's a real concern, you know. Um, and like the Ave is like very security oriented. They don't want to put like depositors' funds at risk. Mm. Um, so they got to get people to borrow less ETH. 
basically, in order to bring that interest rate down so that not too many people unwind this ETH's teeth trade. Yeah, I see. So they're, they're, are they concerned about their own protocol here or are they concerned about the... It's the DAO. Okay, they're no, but like, I just mean like, are they like, what would happen if the steep price really goes like so low? Is it just that they literally won't have the liquidity to make the liquidations unless it goes to zero? Um, yeah, the the the, uh, the fear is that uh, every time a liquidation gets done at um, at a premium rather than a discount, um, they lose a little bit of money, right? So someone out there has lent them one ETH, and they're trying to liquidate one ETH's worth of steeth. Um, and they're trying to liquidate, say, 1.01 steeth if they're if they're trading at one to one, right? Uh, they're liquidating at a, slight, at a 1% discount um, to get that one ETH back, to pay back the person that has deposited yeah. one ETH. They may not have enough ETH to I pay see. back the people that have deposited okay, ETH, mm. um, at which point they're insolvent. No, so fully, fully bankrupt scenario. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's problem number that. two, kind of a problem. Kind of a problem. Yeah. What is problem number three? Does it get worse? <laughs> it, I don't know. That's actually the root cause of problem number three. <laughs> that it is, yeah, worse. exactly. Um, yeah. Problem number three is is fear, right? It's fun. Problem it's number fun. three is literally people asking that question: Does it get worse? Yeah, um, and this actually is is a big problem, right? But it, because, it, like we just talked about this, the right move is to pull your money out before everybody else does. So it's like if everybody thinks that, the bank run starts. Yeah. And then um, this scenario from step one starts and then step two happens. And then that leads to step three again, even harder. Yeah. And then everything is broken. And then you go to episode number three of our deep dive, <laughs> series, which is DeFi doomsday. And then uh, you'll know the rest, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the big issue here, right. Is that um, if people start pulling their ETH out of Ave, that increases the utilization rate without anyone having to even borrow more. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they're able to turn off new borrows, but they're not able to turn off withdrawals. Right. Um, and so, uh, and so we could even see a scenario where the borrow rate of ETH continues to increase, um, as people start to withdraw their ETH to avoid this bank run. Um, and so as the utilization rate increases, interest rates increase and, so, and each of those things impacts problems, number one and, and two, like yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the other issue is that people want to collect this airdrop. We can see it in the numbers. They're really trying their hardest to collect this airdrop. Mm -hmm. If your ETH is in Aave at airdrop time, you're not going to be able to withdraw it from, um, from Aave on the proof of work chain. Why is that? So if utilization is above 0%, that means that someone out there has some ETH and it's secured by some collateral that's now worth zero. It's the same trade, the right? stable coin trade. Yeah, You're somebody out there is depositing. By, okay, I see. Somebody out there is depositing USDC and borrowing ETH. And then on the proof of work chain, they just walk away. They don't care about their collateral. And in fact, no one's willing to liquidate any amount of... of uh, or no one's willing to buy a, to to step in as a liquidator to buy any amount of valueless collateral. No one wants valueless USDC. No, no one's going to be down to do that. So um, have they pause withdrawals now of ETH? You can't. You can't. That's pause the thing. That's what I'm ETH. saying. It's like what? So, so if you have ETH in Ave right now, right, right. your airdrop is essentially going to reward zero. 
Yeah, that's the idea because somebody else that had this idea for this trade yeah. is going to capture. So glory. they're not causing the withdrawals. They'll leave you with worthless USDC, which just before the merge was worth more than that ETH. And so, you know, you were comfy, right? Someone could step in and liquidate it and pay you back that ETH. But, um, but post-merge, well, now it's worth zero. No one's going to step in as liquidator to pay you back that ETH and you're just wrecked. So this proposal is basically to disincentivize anybody from taking these sorts of actions again in the future. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's the idea. And to disincentivize people from continuing to run this trade today, mm, makes sense. um, by substantially increasing APR, yeah, right? right. Uh, so it stops people from- Oh, so it increases the APRs like for even current positions. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, well, for, if for variable APRs, so right, on the right. Ave, you can do fixed and, and variable uh, borrow rates. Uh, so for variable ones, yeah. Uh, oh, but I mean, correct. those will also increase as people start to withdraw their ETH. Now, now what I'm wondering about is bridges. Mm. Same like, part eight. <laughs> like why? You know what I mean? If yes, bridge, for sure. Because they're all going to run out of funds, right? Like they're, you're going to have run into a place where everybody's just trying to pull their ETH out. I mean, purportedly all of the ETH that exists out there is also on native Ethereum locked up. Right. Um, but you're going to see some really weird incentives where like, uh, like wormhole, for example, that runs a bridge between Ethereum and Solana. All of the liquidity, all of the Ethereum based liquidity on Solana is going to be looking at itself like. Why am I earning 0.1% depositing this ETH into Aave or Uniswap or whatever on Solana when I could be sending it back to the ETH main chain and capturing this airdrop? Mm. Hmm. I wonder if all these things are also what's causing the airdrop price, the ETHW price to go down. Because now it's just such a crowded trade. Like everybody's just trying to form the airdrop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought much about this about this wormhole thing, but it is kind of an interesting play. Yeah, hmm. like maybe there's a play to be made where, like, you know, ETH liquidity goes so low on so many of these other chains that, like, um, borrow costs for wrapped ETH goes uh, goes to the moon, or uh, or like lending rewards for wrapped ETH goes to the moon on all these other chains. Maybe you say, forego the air the airdrop, right? And instead of collecting ETHW, you just like put some bridged ETH into like Aave on Avalanche or something. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay, interesting. interesting. Matt, Matt, one more week left. Final thoughts. Let us know what do you think we should be on the lookout for with seven days left till the merge? Be on the lookout for my Ethereum tattoo. Oh, let's go <laughs> on the way tomorrow deep in the heart of Brooklyn to get Matt an ETH tattoo. It could be somewhere on his body, on the lower half, on the backside. It's possible. It could not, but, you know, you never know. Much like the merge, it'll be a surprise. Hey. Um, well, we will be back later in the week to go over everything that happened. It'll probably be more merge stuff. We'll be back next week with part eight of our merge deep dive. We'll be the back with the live stream and the actual merge again Tuesday uh, 4.50 p.m. New York time and Thursday for the Merge Party. We will see you then. Until then, stay decent.
advice. Uh, none of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, if you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, until next time, stay decent.